Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. And, of course, you're watching and listening on YouTube.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, Facebook.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, and on Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT. In this very special conversation inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios with Ken Niamatololo, as I tell you all every time I say that name, my favorite name in college football, might be my favorite name in sports. And so Ken Niamatololo here with us, the Navy Midshipman Head Football Coach, and he is no stranger to the broadcast for the better part of almost a decade now, and it's my honor to bring him back onto the show. Ken, how are we doing today? Morning, Dan. How are you doing? Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. And, and, and Ken, I got to tell you, I miss the uh, the teleconferences and being able to have an, an every Monday approach. So it's good to have you back here. And I hope that uh, this year has been treating you well. And hopefully you and the family have been doing well. Yeah, it's been, it was a great Christmas. Uh, finished up the year great. So it was awesome to, to beat Army and take us into the holidays. But yeah, things have been going well. You know, and we take a look at that that Army Navy game and, and just how important that game is. When you look back to a season like this season, and you end the season four and eight, but you end it with a win over Army, can you take that because it's such a unique game and, and such an important game in the fabric of you know the United States of America? Not just football, not just you know Division One A and whatnot, but this Army Navy game has has so much weight to it that in a four and eight season defeating Army at the end of the season, can that catapult you into something special, and can you take something good out of that? Oh, most definitely. It's everything that you work for in your program is to beat those guys. And then, you know, beating them on the field, we have great respect for them, who they are as, as young men. We recognize the sacrifices that they're making and will make, you know, for our country. So we have great respect for them. But on the football field, to be able to beat them, uh, there's a finality for our seniors. They recognize that this is their last time that they'll be playing. We might have a couple guys that might have a shot but um, and at the league, but the majority of them, this will be the end. And so to right off into the sunset of their football athletic careers, it's, it's a great way to end. It's a great way to write the final chapter of their athletic careers in beating their, you know, their arch rival on the field. But you're right, I, I think this season also catapults you from the standpoint of those coming back. They recognize how hard it is to win. Uh, they recognize that they worked really hard last, last year, Dan. Our guys worked hard, but it's still hard to win. I mean, you're, you know, it's well chronicled that we play the third toughest schedule. And so sometimes even when you're working hard, it may not be enough. So it might be motivation for our younger guys coming back, recognizing, hey, Maybe we have to run a couple more sprints. Maybe we have to stretch a little bit longer. Maybe we have to watch some more video to get prepared. They recognize how the sacrifices. But also, I think the third component to it then is um, ultimately the United States Naval Academy is about leadership. You know, I'm a football coach. There are professors here. There are military people here. But ultimately, the school number one mission is to develop young men and women of character and leadership morally, mentally, and physically. And I think this year I saw the greatest um, examples of leadership from our seniors, our captains, uh, Diego Fogo, Michael Cooper, Chance Warren, Kevin Brennan. And I feel good about them going off and serving our country. 
uh, as good as any class I've ever felt that these guys have been through adversity. Um, but, you know, also I'm a football coach. So our success is, you know, I guess determined by our record. So I recognize that. I recognize we have to get better. We've got a lot of good seasons here. But I, I think this season and that game will de- definitely catapult us to great things because of those three different reasons that I talk about. Yeah, you know, and, and you look at the history of the Army-Navy game, and the first time Army-Navy ever played each other on the football field was back in 1890. You know, 1890 to, to now 2021, to, to see this history and this tradition that has spanned over centuries, just what that means to you to be sitting here in the 21st century knowing that the first game was played in 1890, and, you know, obviously there's there's been a few years in between where the game wasn't played, but to have it start so far back to be here today, I mean, it's one of the, like I said, the fabric of, of the United States of America. It's one of the things that we've just come to know. And I think people that love the game don't even know that it's stemmed all the way back to, you know, 1890 and just what that means to you to be a part of tradition, a part of history of something that's been here with us for so long. Well, it's like you said, Dan, it just to be a part of America's game, as I like to call it, uh, to know all the, the tradition of it, um, you know, and also the history of it, you know, how long it's been played. It's, it's definitely humbling when you think about that. But also, you know, we talked about the other portion of our future leaders and catapulting them to the future of our country. It's, it's definitely surreal because it's, you recognize that it's more than a game all that it represents. And anybody that's ever been to the game, I've had several, you know, big time coaches and other, you know, athletic uh, figures and prominent people in athletics. And they come to the game and they're like, whoa, this is unlike any game that they've been to. You know, the the game itself, there's a lot of uh, pageantry and um, the atmosphere is electric, but also like you said, the history of it is, it's unsurpassed. And with you as the Navy Midshipman head coach here with Kenny Amatololo, head football coach of the Navy Midshipman here inside the American Athletic Conference, when we look back at your first full season at Navy as the head coach in 2008, you from 2008 all the way through to 2015 led the way with eight straight victories for Navy in the Army-Navy game. Just what that has meant to you in your time as a coach. Well, just, you don't know, take any wins for granted. You know, you recognize it's hard to beat your rivals and have that kind of streak. It's, you know, you definitely feel good about. Um, again, so that it's exciting. We we feel good to have won two of the last three, you know, again, in, in our rivalry. And so uh, anytime you can beat your rivals, then it's, it's, always, it's always a great thing. You know, and, and like you said, after winning those eight straight, you've won two of the last three. Bring me into, is this an all-season-long thing? I spoke with Tony O'Gully, one of your former backs, about this. Is it an all-season-long conversation between Army and Navy, knowing that this game is coming up in mid-December, or is it really that week before or a month before? Bring me into the festivities and the the playful kind of back-and-forth banter and whatnot. What is it like to be the Navy coach amidst this Army-Navy game and and? 
how long is it being talked about? When does it really kick into the season, or is it there all year long? Well, you know, I'll give you an example. In our offseason uh, this past year, uh, we lost to them last year. You know, the final score was 15-0, to zero, but it was, um, you know, we were we were down 3-0 in the fourth quarter, and we had the ball in the inch line, and we didn't get it in. Now we look at some pictures, and it looks like the ball is across the line, but <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't call us in. <laughs> and so there's a picture of our fullback, you know, Nelson Smith, that he has a ball on that play um, where they say we didn't get in. There's a fourth down play where we didn't get in by millimeters. Um, we left that on our – it was on our, our screen. We have a, four big TV screens as you walk out of our locker room, and one of them just had that picture. You know, it's kind of motivation for us all in this all off season that we weren't going to let that happen again, that we weren't going to come up millimeters – short of beating those guys and so even though we may not talk about it daily then you know there's there are things like that reminders of that you know in our weights i mean which we spend all off season in the weight room um lifting every day on our weights that says beat army and so again even though you know you may not have a speech about them every day you recognize that that's your goal spring ball for us Fortunately, we can get ready for them. Uh, you know, the 15 practice that we go against each other, we kind of have a combination. We we play against each other, offense and defense, so you kind of get option ready for the Army-Navy game, for Air Force. And then part of our practice is spent on conventional stuff, you know, the, so that our, our defense and our team can get ready for the AAC. And so we get ready for them pretty much the whole year. Sometimes during the season, uh, we'll take a Monday and, and, and go over, you know, option stuff. Playing Air Force prepares us for Army, you know, because they're an option team too. And so it happened. It, the, the preparation is what I'm trying to say is really year-round. Now our league is so good that it, you, you can't – you still got to get ready for Houston and SMB and Cincinnati. and You know, you can't spend all your time on Army. Um but you have to do enough stuff so it's always in their memory of what our main goals are. This commander chief trophy, beating Air Force, and then obviously beating the Black Knights at the end of the year. Yeah, speaking here with Kenny Matalolo, the Navy midshipman head football coach on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal studios. When you came into Navy and, and had the opportunity to eventually take over full in 2008, for you to to look at this in all of your coaching history and connection to the sport of football, have you ever experienced anything like this? How would you describe you know being the Navy head football coach? Because there's coaches you know that I mean, well, I should say there's places that are rich in history. The coach after Nick Saban, obviously, people know Alabama. The coach after you know Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, they're going to know what Clemson has done. Florida State and Florida, rich in history. Penn State, Notre Dame, Syracuse's history of old and whatnot. When we look at Navy, though, it's such a unique history and such a unique connection to the community that goes well beyond football. So when you took over the job and you, for the first time, stood at the helm of this program, could you have ever imagined what weight maybe felt on your shoulders at that time? And looking back on it now, just how you see taking over a program that has so much more history to it 
than simply football. No, I don't think I, I understood the magnitude. You know, I, I, when I became the head coach, I think, you know, I was an assistant for 18 years at the Division One level. All of my years, in my 18 years, were as a Division One coach. And so I felt like I was well acquainted with the game. I felt like I knew Division One football, the ins and outs. Having done it for 18 years, having recruited, being on the road, having competed, uh, at the Naval Academy, at UNLV, at Hawaii. I feel like my background of football was extensive. That I, I felt prepared for the football part of it. I felt prepared for the recruiting part of it. I felt having been at the Naval Academy at that time, 10 years, I felt like I knew the, the Naval Academy very well. And I felt like I knew Service Academy football very well. and So I felt coming into it that I was as prepared as anybody else in the country. Um, I, I felt knowing football, uh, Division One football, knowing the Naval Academy and Naval Academy football that I, I felt I was prepared. But there are things that you can't prepare for that you have to be able to go through it. Um, the atmosphere of coaching in the service academy game is as intense as any, you know, I mean, it's hard to explain. Um, the first couple games that I came to then, when in uh, 1995, I still always remember that game. I always refer to that game. But, you know, I remember pulling up to Veterans Stadium, our players coming out of our buses and seeing the whole brigade of midshipmen and the Corps cadets lined up in the parking lot <clears throat> getting ready to march in. It was, it was literally like a war. I mean, it's like you just gave you goosebumps. Uh, but just everything about it, the flyovers, uh, all the, you know, being here, you know, I've had different presidents on the field doing warm-ups. I still remember President Bush, you know, we're having seven-on-seven Skelly warm-ups, you know, individual before in warm-ups. And, you know, President Bush is walking around. And um, I mean, I want to tell him to, to come out of the way, you're going to get hit by a crossing route. But, I mean, how do, how do, you, how do, you, how do you tell the President of the United States that and, and so I just, I was just, you know, I just looked at him and I was going to say something, but then I saw all the Secret Service guys with their long trench coats and, you know, I'm sure they had some weapons underneath there. So I said, I just better keep my mouth quiet and hopefully nobody runs over the president, you know, on the crossing route. But I mean, where do you have those kind of experiences then, you know, where, uh, you know, that happens. And I've been in many different places because the United States Naval Academy and you know, United States Military Academy. It's like they represent a whole country. I've been in different places, uh, and military people they recognize you just from the standpoint of, um, you know, we 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 serve, you know, our, our country, and it's there are military people all around the country. So I've had different people in different places that they recognize you from that game. So um, it's a great honor to be in the game. It touches a lot of different people, a lot of different tentacles out there, but it's it's hard to describe, but it is surreal. You know, and and Ken, as you have you know gone through your history with this team, in the last six bowl games that you have advanced to, you've won five of those six bowl games. When we look back on the history here, the last one coming back in two thousand 
and 19 and winning five of the last six and including the military bowl as well as the armed forces bowl just what you could say about what this team has been able to do after the army navy game in bowl games uh, plenty of years that you've been at at navy as their head football coach you've advanced to bowl season and like i said five and one in the last six just what your take is on that and then maybe a secondary piece to this playing in the armed forces as well as the military bowl, just what that means to extend out even more so what you're trying to do at Navy and to continue to honor our military. Well, just, you know, my approach, I don't know if it's been like other people, but, you know, everything, like you said, Dan, and our whole discussion is leading up to the culmination of the Army-Navy game. That's where it's all about. And so you put everything into that, all of your energy and resources and all that you have, all the fiber of your being to beat those guys. So when you beat them, it's such a great reward. Uh, for us, the bowl game have always been fun. You know, we feel like we're, we practice longer than anybody else. We're at, you know, we normally play the second week of December against Army. Normally our bowl games in another two weeks or less than two weeks. So I feel like we're physically we're in better shape than other guys that have been out of, off a month. So I've always felt like I didn't want to beat these guys up anymore. Our practices have been normally light. Uh, we also got to focus on our finals. There's also during that time. You know, it's crazy. It's been sometimes, then that we've come to practice, and our practices have only been like less than an hour. Uh, you know, when, you know, 30 minutes when we're still at the Naval Academy because guys are still taking exams. Uh, in fact, there's a give you a funny story. So we had... You know, we played in one of our bowl games. I don't want to give away where because I don't want to give away the source of our high school coach, you know, because we have a lot of friends that, you know, know both teams. But in one of those bowl games, one of our uh, associates, our uh, high school coach that knew one of our coaches, obviously knew some coaches on our opposing team. They came to our practice and they looked at our practice after and they told one of our assistant coaches, like, Hey, man, I just came from the other practice, and I saw how those guys are practicing and how hard and long they're practicing. I'm watching you guys practice. You guys are going to get killed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we ended up winning. Yeah. You know, but it was a great testament to, like, you know, no, we've already put in the hard work. We just played two weeks ago. You know, we're we're just trying to, you know, stay cleaned up, you know, make sure we know what we're doing. You know, they see these guys in full pads and doing all these things, but, they didn't recognize we just got through uh, the most physical game of the year just, you know, 10 days ago that we'd be ready for the physicality. But I, I thought that was interesting, this perspective of seeing the way we got ready for bowl games compared to our opponents, but not recognizing that we'd already been well prepared because of the Army-Navy game. You know, and in, in, in having that, I was going to ask you, when, when you have that game – be at the end of the the season, the, the regular season and whatnot. And essentially, it feels like playing a bowl game or one of those prominent games, whether or not you know you, you have a bowl game after that. Having that game by itself mid-December so the whole world can see it, it has been something that's incredibly special. And at the same time, you were talking about the uniqueness of it that you know, you're playing that game and there may be a bowl game being played two days later. So how do you prepare and and how do you kind of work that out of, you know, knowing that 
the Bulls now with there being 43 opportunities, 86 teams, that you could be finding out where you're going and you may have to travel and have a very short window. I mean, how do you look at something like that if you're playing the game on like a December 15th or, you know, somewhere around that region and then knowing that you might have a bowl game a week later, 12 days later, nine days, something like that to have it so close? Well, I think, you know, like I said, the physical part, at least then we don't have to get in shape. Yeah. More than anything, we're trying to mend. You know, we're trying to recover a little bit. Other teams that have been off for a month or six weeks or whatever the case may be, they're having to get back in football shape. You know, they they might be running and lifting and all that stuff, but that's not football shape. You know, we've been practicing. So we've been literally practicing for a physical Army-Navy game. The Army-Navy game is the most physical game of the year, you know, along with Air Force. Those two games are, you know, because we, we play the same brand of football. So we're prepared from a physical standpoint. But then the other part of it is just the coaches, you know, we're already prepared because we know who our opponent is. So we got our scouting reports prepared. So once the game's over, we start, you know, then we delve into the nuts and bolts of our game plan to get that out to our players. We have smart kids. So more than anything, you know, we're just trying to give our kids the best plan possible to be successful. We don't try to reinvent the wheel. We just, you know, again, played 12 games. And so we feel like, um, you know, concepts that we'll take from, you know, games during the season, some familiarity that uh, that our players might have with concepts that we can take to the bowl game. There might be some new concepts, normally not a ton because, you know, the time frame is so short. But we, we may put in stuff for our opponents, you know, just – but a lot of it is carryover. So a lot of it is just, you know, just refreshing – uh, people's memory and bunch stuff. So it's more mental than physical yeah. because all of the physical preparation has been done. Um, but for us, again, like I said, it's just it's it, it's always been a reward. Um, you know, and our guys go and uh, you know that that style has worked out for us, or that form of preparing has been worked out well for us. It's not that you know I, I don't. I don't want to say I'm conceding, oh, yeah, we're just going there to have a vacation. and, and But that, that's not what I'm saying. But I, want, I do want our guys to enjoy it. So the, when we've gone to bowl games, and we got to 10 of them in my time here, we enjoy the festivities. We go to everything that they give us. Any of the activities, we enjoy it. And we go in the game room or whatever they have for us, we do that. And, and like you said, the, the military bowl and the armed forces bowl, to play, have played in those bowl games several times is also a great honor uh, because, again, we get to continue on in a legacy, especially for the Naval Academy, to play for, you know, continue to play for our armed services. You know, and Ken, ten, like you just mentioned, 10 bowl games in 14 seasons at Navy. Just what that says about, you know, this team, because your team is unique. You run the triple option. People know what you're going to do. You dedicate yourself to it. It's not like every few years you're changing coordinators and you're changing the offense and retooling everything this is what you do and in your 14 seasons you've been in the postseason 10 times as we mentioned you've beaten army in the army navy game countless uh, times here in in your tenure and two of the last three and eight straight for for a spell as well so just what you could say about you know that side of it the fact that this is a team that's going to the postseason the majority of the time that you've been the head coach at navy knowing that 
the whole world knows what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But I love the old school mentality of you may know us, but you still have to beat us, which I think is is a synonymous with Navy, at least in my opinion. Well, I feel like Dan, that, I mean, like you said, you know, our staffs have been together for a long time and we recognize that, I mean, this stuff works. Uh, option football is based off numbers. It's based off angles. So it's not a gimmick offense. It works. you got to execute. But you got to know what you're doing. You know, I feel like, you know, in 2020, you know, because of the pandemic, we didn't get any spring ball. And really because of some of the the COVID protocols at the academy, which were, I mean, those were well-intended. I mean, we had to do that. No, nobody knew what's going on in the world. And so, you know, our, our protocols that we have are probably more strict than anybody else. And so we didn't get spring ball or um, our camp. In our camp, we were basically Dan and um, in shorts and helmet. You know, we, we really didn't practice against each other. And so, you know, I, I basically, in my mind, it's hard to say, but I kind of throw out the, the pandemic year because I knew we weren't ready and nor could we have gotten ready with the circumstances that we had. You know, we, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the game that you talk about, um, you know, our two biggest games. And again, people can say I'm complaining or whatever, but I just, I just speak the truth. You know, the one game we play Air Force, which is one of our rivals, that was their only game up until that point. So they got basically a month or longer to prepare for us, and that's always hard to play them up there. Uh, they weren't sure if they're going to play a full season, so they played us for that game. So we were playing other games and getting ready for them. But then the Army-Navy game, you know, I've been in this game 24 times. Because of the pandemic, we went up there. <laughs> and so I'm like, wait a minute, how did that work out? <laughs> like, all the times, we, we got to go up there. And so, you know, so it, it wasn't the, the most conducive stuff. Uh, you know, to be on a level playing field, but it is what it is. Those are the cards we got dealt, so we lived with it. I really felt like then this year, which is hard to tell, you know, we didn't start off so great. We had, you know, two young sophomore quarterbacks who I felt in an Army game played really, really well. But I thought we got better as the season went on, but it's hard to see that when you're playing against Cincinnati and Notre Dame. You know, you know, I, was, I, was, I thought we were playing really well then at the end of the year, getting better. Uh, then, you know, we're down by 12 against Notre Dame or something like that in the third or fourth quarter, going to the fourth quarter, and we lose. Then you feel like, oh, man, we, we struggled again. We, we're back to ground zero. Then then I see where they basically shut out the next two opponents in Virginia and uh, Georgia Tech. I'm like, okay, maybe it's not us. Maybe it's Notre Dame. And then you try to look at we played top four top 24 teams, Two teams, really, uh, two top five teams with Cincinnati and Notre Dame. And so it's like, you know what, the Army-Navy game, I, I, I really felt going into the game, Danny, like, I really feel like we're going to beat these guys. You know, I, I give an example. So our last game against Temple, I mean, we got after them pretty good. Now, you know, maybe if our schedule is a little bit more along those lines, maybe we have a couple more wins. But we played 11 bowl teams. And so, but I thought, you know what, I think we're a better football team. It's just hard. And the analogy I, I said is like if you're a boxer and you, you, you know, you, you fight a, a top 10 boxer or a Floyd Mayweather and stuff, you might get beat up and people may not see that you improved, but you are, you have improved. And so what we did against Army, 
really down when I look at it. It, it didn't surprise me. I was hoping we could do that. I felt we were a better football team because we played stiffer competition. And to see what happened in the game, you know, just it, it, it was my, what my 31 years of experience have told me that, you know, we've got a good team. It's just our schedule has just been, I mean, relentless. But what we did against them, I kind of thought we could do. And so it was great for the see our kids play well uh, against Army, you know, in the last game. That coming here from Ken Niamatsololo, the Navy midshipman head football coach on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Ken, before I let you go, you know, you talk about having uh, coaches and, and having some continuity and, and also making some changes over the years. Uh, what can you say about your coordinators and the importance of them? Brian Newberry, your defensive coordinator, I spoke with you when you had originally brought him on. And after that, uh, running game coordinator, Ashley Ingram, as well as your special teams uh, coordinator, uh, Danny O'Rourke. Just what you could say about the coordinators on this staff and what they've meant to this team and how you see the staff progressing forward. Well, it's like you said, and after the 2007, you know, the 2018 year, I made a change and that was hard for me. I mean, those are uh, guys that I knew very well, dear friends of mine, but I just felt like we had to make a change for our program defensively. So, you know, I did, I did my homework and really more than anything, you know, I just used my experience. You know, and I talked to a lot of people. I used my, you know, long years of history in this game and what I knew. I, I called people that I thought could help me and just what their, some of their thoughts were. And, you know, one of those was Coach Belichick. who's uh, become a good friend of mine over the years and just, you know, asked some of his thoughts on, you know. And, and so with some of all of that, I just scoured and talked to different people and then I knew I wanted to be uh, an aggressive defense that came after people, but with a lot of illusions, a lot of uh, um, shifting and movement and moving parts. I, I wanted to be a team, a defense that was confusing, but was sound. It came after people, but was sound. You know, and, you know, it might look like to the, the offense or O-line and the quarterback that we were rushing eight, but we were only rushing four. Or it might look like we're, you know, we're dropping everybody, but we're actually, you know, not dropping everybody. I just want to create illusions for <clears throat> and confusion for the quarterback and online. And, you know, fortunately I found Dan Newberry, who's, he's been awesome. You know, as a person, he's a great man. Uh, he's had opportunities because of the success he's had here. People recognize, they see what he's done on defense here recognizing we don't have the same size and speed as other schools and seeing what he's done on defense here. They recognize how elite of a coach he is. Uh, you know, Ivan, Coach Jasper is still heavily involved in our offenses. I mean, it's been a major, major reason for the success of our program over the years. You look at all of the great quarterbacks that he's coached and all of our, pretty much all of the offensive numbers um, record numbers here at the Naval Academy are under when Coach Jasper's been coaching here along with Coach Ingram who I think is <clears throat> I would say Dan Ashley Ingram has had as much to do with the success here at the United States Naval Academy and really any football coach that has ever been here 
I mean, and I'll just name a few guys that he's recruited, but and I can and the list keep continues to go on. But he's, you know, he recruited uh, Keenan Reynolds and Malcolm Perry, but he's recruited more influential football players here at the Naval Academy than any recruiter that's ever been here. And so, not only has he been a great run game coordinator, he's one of the smartest football coaches. Uh, in the in in X's and O's, he's a great game day coach. He's a great teacher. His players love him, but he's the best recruiter that I've ever been around. And he has changed our football program because of his recruiting. Um, Danny O'Rourke has been here again for over twenty years, but he too has been a big part of um, our team. Uh, his schematics on special teams is also his recruiting is. Um, He's been on offense uh, the majority of his tenure here. And, you know, he's a really, really brilliant offensive mind. So all of those guys, those four guys and their longevity being here, Coach Newberry's going on a fourth year here, but he's had a tremendous impact here. But all of those guys have been instrumental parts in the success of Navy football. But more importantly, I'll finish off with them in development of men. Tony O'Gully that you talked about, you know, I still remember going to his high school. Coach O'Rourke recruited him, you know, West Costa. So Coach O'Rourke and I still remember going to see him at his school. And so there are so many of the Tony O'Gullies of the world that um, Danny, Coach O'Rourke, Coach Ingram, uh, Coach Jasper, and now Coach Newberry when I was fourth year. You know, yes, they've taught them schemes and how to play football. But more importantly, I feel like they've been a small part of their development of, as a father's husband and leaders for a country. And, you know, and, and you look at that and you look at the leadership that you've been able to put forward and, and what you've been able to do. And, and I think, you know, for me, I've seen this, you know, for almost the better part of a decade in covering you and covering the American athletic and my interest is when you're going to houses, Ken, you and your staff, and, and you just brought up a, a bunch of the guys that have been a part of this, when you are recruiting, it's unique. And I know there's certain people you can't talk about if they haven't committed or signed or whatnot, but there's people that, that I know that have been recruited and offered by Navy. What is the message, and how do you feel you are received when you go out there? Because you're not just asking these, you know, young men to be a part of a school and, you know, go to class and come play football football for us. You're asking them to make sacrifices to serve, to be connected to this country and to honor this country and honor freedoms and protect people that they don't even know. The ideals and, and the foundation and just what Navy is, is so much more than simply saying, hey, come play football for us. So what is the message when you're recruiting? And how do you feel like you are received? Well, our message is very clear to them. You know, Dan, this is, um, it's not about the next four years. It's about the next 40 years. This is a lifetime decision. And there are a lot of uh, big boy, mature decisions that you're going to have to make as a young man, as a family. And we don't hide any of that from them. You know, that we tell them that football is going to be really, really hard. You're playing divisional football. The academics are going to be really, really hard here. Coming to an Ivy League type institution, it's a military school. And so there are some requirements that come from that. There's service time after that. 
uh, that you're going to have to serve our country. And the question always comes up, and mothers always ask it, you know, could my son be in harm's way? And, and you have to tell them yes. You know what I mean? That unfortunately your, your son will be in harm's way. Now, not everybody goes, you know, goes to war, and there are different opportunities that you can do and different things that you can do that maybe may not be uh, as much on the front line, so to speak. But, uh, yes, that, that is definitely a possibility. And so you give them all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, the, but what I've told them is in my years of being here, you know, that I've been here 24 years, I've seen, I, I tell guys this all the time, but I've been here at the Naval Academy longer than they've been alive. So I've seen them come back. I've seen them come back to the school as fathers and husbands. I see all that they're doing now. Guys are business owners, doctors, lawyers. I mean, the, just the success that they're having. And that has always been my message to them. Yes, you come. We're going to win games. We're going to go to bowl games. We're going to beat those other two service academies. We're going to have a successful football team. We're going to have a great academic uh, degree and when you leave from the school. But I tell them, what I've seen from this school that I'm sold on, I see the, the end results. I've seen guys 20 years down the road. I've seen them 10 or 15 years down the road. I've seen the Tony Gullies and the thousands of others. I've been here so long that literally then I've recruited thousands of young men. I mean, who else can say that? I mean, I've been at a school that I've literally been a part of recruiting thousands of young men, and I've seen them come from different walks of life, from all parts of our country, from the inner city, from the country, from the, from the West Coast, from the East Coast, from the South, you know, from the Midwest, everywhere. Um, the rich, private school, public school, poor. And I've seen them come, uh, not everybody, but I've seen the majority of them, you know, graduate. You know, and I've seen our, our graduation rate then is at 90%. I mean, that, that's unheard of, you know what I mean? At a school that's literally, we're still going to class. And I don't have any problem saying this. Our curriculum is different than other Division One football schools that are just trying to keep people eligible. I mean, we take the same courses that, that every other midshipman is taking here. So that, that course, that, that is a hard deal. But I'll, I'll kind of close with this last story to kind of, to me, just epitomizes that our football program and the way we've built this program, we are doing things the right way. Unfortunately, before the Army-Navy game, a dear brother of ours, who was a former football player, uh, Brian Bourgeois, passed away uh, in a training exercise. You know, he's a Navy SEAL. He's in, in command of a Navy SEAL team, uh, SEAL Team 8. And we were fortunate enough then that he invited us, the, the SEAL Team 8, uh, Last year, we went as a football staff. It was one of the greatest experiences that I've had as a person. Forget as a football coach, as a person, one of the greatest experiences that I had just for a day to spend time with them and see what they do. These elite people in our country that nobody knows about, that goes and does things for our country to protect us. And, you know, the countless missions that they have, successful missions that they have for our freedoms that nobody even knows about, just to see how they do things. It was remarkable but unfortunately brian passed away and we were able to go as a staff to his funeral uh, after the army navy game and at the end of the funeral i i i thought there was great symbolism there that the the, the 
the auditorium was packed. In fact, they had other places that they had the broadcast people were into because this Brian was so beloved by people. So on one side of the chapel, it was pretty much all the SEAL, the SEAL team community. In the middle portion, uh, probably his family and loved ones. But on the other side, we're all uh, uh, brotherhood, football brotherhood guys. I mean, there are guys that came from over the decades, guys that were teammates of Ryan, that knew him personally. They all came, his former teammates. But there are also Navy football players that didn't even really know Brian. They played in different decades, but they came by the thousand, you know, the hundreds and uh, there to to celebrate his life. And as I sat there after, and I saw the great love that his SEAL team community had for Brian and, you know, and his, and who he was as a person. Obviously, his family was there. But then I saw the football side of the community on the other side. As I was driving home, I just realized we are doing things rightly. Our football brotherhood and the way we're developing leaders, we're doing it way better than that can be uh, quantified by a record. To me, that was the ultimate record. Forget the wins and losses. I won a ton of games here as a football case. I won a went to 10 bowl games, beat Army 10 times, won the Commander Chief Chief Open six times. You know, we've tied for our conference um, division three times. Um, you know, won over 100 games. Those are all stuff that you can quantify by numbers and by ledger. Dan, that was probably the greatest experience that I had. But just to see that our football brotherhood, the things that we try to create here at Navy football, I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw guys come back from different eras to pay tribute to a fallen brother. And to see the great number of guys come out and see them embrace, and, you know, and they, just like they had, you know, they, they've been together all this time. It made me realize when I left there, driving home on our whatever five-hour drive back to Annapolis, that I just left away, you know, reassured we just beat Army. And I was just at that funeral to pay tribute to a fallen brother that we are doing things the right here, uh, the right way here at the United States Naval Academy, regardless of what anybody else might say, record-wise and stuff, because that's all you can quantify. That's all they can see. But nobody else sees the other stuff, the development. Um, it's kind of like I said, the stuff that the SEALs do that nobody sees. They're just grateful. We're just grateful for the Americans they do it. You know, I thank them after, but the stuff that they do behind the scenes, nobody sees. But to see our brotherhood come back there makes me realize the way we build our program is the right way. Yeah, and that that coming from Kenny Amatsololo here, the Navy midshipman, head football coach, who I have uh, tremendous respect for, as he knows, and I'm sitting here listening to these stories, and makes me want to talk to you all the time, Ken. I mean, I, I know we always have an open line of communication, but... I just, I feel like I want to like once a week, just be a sponge. Tell me a story, you know, tell me something about that. I do want to say this. I definitely think that if you'd be okay with this, I'd love to come by, you know, the the team and the grounds and I'd love to actually get to see this and, and it could be in the off season, it could be during the season, but I just really want to feel the ground, you know, and, and I've talked to you about this before, my, my great uncle, Carmen, who's still alive, God bless him, has been in the Navy. And my grandfather, my grandpa, Thomas Cavino, 
he passed away in, in 1992, and he was in World War II on a Navy ship that was never called into battle. And, you know, I mean, what they've given to this, this world. And for my grandfather in my studio and anywhere I've gone since my mother gave it to me, I have my grandfather's Navy hats. And I, I have that with me. It's got his name on the inside and the outside. It says T.A. Cavino for Thomas Archibald Cavino. And I've had that with me all over the place. I've had it at every apartment and it now sits in my studio over my left shoulder. So uh, you know that, that the U.S. Naval Academy and Naval Academy means way more to me than just simply football and wins and losses. And, and I would love the opportunity, Ken, to, to come down there and just to walk with you because I feel like in a way I'd be walking with my grandfather and that would mean a lot to me. We'd love to have you, man. And in time, I mean, we'd love to have you. Maybe during spring ball might be a good time, but we'd love to have you, brother. And, and i got to hit a final point here, Ken, and it has to do with change. The U.S. Naval Academy football side of things was independent forever and a day, over 100 years. You join the American Athletic, and we've seen change. Almost every year we've seen coaches get poached by the quote-unquote Power Five, which I don't like that moniker, but those are the teams that come the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, come after the coaches, and it's consistently happened. They come after the schools. We're now going to see UCF, SMU, and Houston move forward after everything that they've done for the conference and the conference has done for them. Six new schools come in as full members, including in football. You're going to have to go up against Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. What do you think about the new challenge of being inside of the American Athletic, knowing that there will now be 14 member institutions for football? I think it's exciting, Dan. You know, those guys leaving, um, you know, a lot of those coaches, they're, they're all my good friends, and I, you know, I, I have great respect for them as peers and wish them the best of luck. But the schools coming, they're up and coming schools. Um, I think our league did a good job of picking schools that are up and coming. It's a, I think it's strategic from a football standpoint, strategic from a media standpoint, strategic from a recruiting standpoint, um, a TV rights, just all of it. I, I, you know, I think, you know, that Mike and, you know, the ADs, uh, athletic directors and presidents, I think they did a really good job of adding schools that are up and coming schools. You know, when our league first got together, and I still remember being in some of our early meetings with the um, league, it was... I mean, it was, uh, you know, Tommy Tupperville, George O'Leary, uh, Russell McNeil, uh, you know, we're all in those, those early meetings. And we're all talking about how do we get our league off the ground? I mean, how do we, you know, how, what do we do? And I still remember then all of us talking about, first and foremost, we got to win. It doesn't matter. You know, we can have all of these, you know, uh, media stuff and, uh, and branding and, and marketing stuff. But if you don't win, it doesn't matter. You got to win. Second of all, we talked about we have to play people. And we have to play people. Um, and I, I remember some of those memes talking about just whatever time slots people give us, we got to take. You know, we're, uh, we don't have any, uh, we don't have any uh, clout right now. We got to build our own resume. And to the credit of all the coaches that have come through that have helped build this program, just very grateful. And a lot of them, a lot of them gone on to, like you said, from, you know, Justin Fuentes, Mike Novell, 
Willie Taggart, Tom Herman, Chad Morris. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've left out some guys. Um, Scott Frost. Like I said, there have been a lot of coaches that have gone on. A lot of them have helped build this program. And I'm sure that all of these new schools, I see them. They're all good football programs. They're all on the up and coming. Yeah, I, I see how geographically it spreads us out from the recruiting standpoint. I'm sure they're, you know, Mike, who's a, you know, a genius on the, the marketing and te- stuff and television rights. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to play with the schools that we're adding uh, and some of the locations that they're at. So I, I think it's exciting. You know, we're going to miss those schools. There are four good schools leaving us, but I, I'm excited about the schools that they're adding. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the future of the AAC. And for you, Ken, I mean, since you're, you know, the grandfather when it comes to coaching tenure in the AAC, I'm just going to say that I would like to think, and Mike Oresco and I are very close, the commissioner of the American Athletic, who you spoke so highly of just now, I'm sure he sits at the head of the table. I would like to hope that at the other head of the table across from him, you get that seat since you've been in the American Athletic Conference you know, all the way through. So all I'm going to say is if Mike's at the head of one table, I think I, I think at the other end of that same table, there should be a name tag for Kenny Amatololo. So if there isn't, then I'm, I'm, I'm telling Mike right now that, uh, you know, you should definitely be sitting up there since you're the one that's been helping this ship all the way from the beginning. So let me know. Are, are you treated with, I mean, is do you get a different type of chair? Is it gold plated? Do you get something special? Because I think you deserve it. No, I appreciate it. No, we're all, we're all competitors. I think the, 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 the longest guys now are I'm, uh, Phil Montgomery and myself. You know, we all still kind of chuckle about how long we've been. In, you know, I've been in there a couple years longer than him. But, you know, we're grateful to be, you know, coaching. We're grateful to still be in this league. Um, like I said, we're, we're grateful for the AC. We feel like they've done a really good job and, you know, Scott Draper and, you know, everybody, OJ, all the guys involved with our, our league have done a really good job in trying to get us off the ground. But as you said, the coaches and the players have done a great job. They are athletic directors and presidents. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the vision that people have had. You know, uh, Chuck Lott, Chuck R.E.D. and I have a lot of discussions on, on those kinds of things. And he talks with our superintendent. And, and so it's... Um, I'm grateful for the future of it, and I'm looking forward to it. And for you, Ken, I think it's, you know, so many people always ask every year, you know, is a coach going to stay? Is a coach going to leave? I spoke with Tony O'Gully about, you know, opportunities you've had. He said that you sat them down and you talked with them about it. That, I'm not surprised because your character and, and who you are as a human being, I've always appreciated and respected uh, very much so. But you don't get that from coaches. Some coaches leave and student-athletes find out on the bottom line. You know, they see it ticking across the screen. Some some players get text messages if they even get that. When you've had opportunities to go elsewhere, there's been an open-door policy of you kind of expressing yourself. So as the last note here, why have you continued to stay at Navy? And then secondly, why are you so open about it when a lot of coaches don't talk to their players about that? Well, you know, I've had, because of the success of our program, and it's not me, it's the, our program, our players, and assistant coaches, you know, I've, I've had some opportunities over the years. And, you know, in this profession, you know, 
they pay coaches, uh, Division One football coaches, head coaches a lot of money. And I, I feel like as um, the head of my family, I have to listen. You know what I mean? I just feel like I have to listen. Um, and this is what I tell um, recruits and their parents all the time because I get this question that asked me by pretty much every parent that I home visit or every uh, parent that visits you know, my office. And I tell them I feel like I owe it to my family to listen, which I have. Um, but I've come to realize when you talk to other people, great opportunities. You know, like I said, the, there's a lot of money involved. But I recognize when I go, I recognize that I have a great job here. And I recognize that I coach great young men. And I'm surrounded by um, people that I love. I love my coaches and who I work with here at the Naval Academy. Um, I love the players. I love Annapolis. I've raised my family here. So I'm not just going to jump to jump, regardless of the money. It has to be right. I'm a spiritual person. I have to pray on things and make sure that they're right. But that one opportunity that Tony was talking about was the BYU opportunity because of my faith, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Is, it was probably the one that I looked at probably the hardest. Um, people, other people, we've had conversations. Um but I eventually realized that, you know, it wasn't for me and, you know, I either dropped out or whatever the case may be. Or they, uh, on, on their side of it, thought that there was somebody else. So it wasn't just on my side of it. Um, but BYU job, I, I felt like, you know, there would be a good chance that I might take it. Uh, so I felt like I owed it to our team because I didn't want to be one of those coaches that, you know, tell people I'm not going anywhere. Then my next press conference, I'm wearing a different colored, you know, sports coat and tie and, you know, at another school. And that's the first place my parents heard it. And so I did it. So I told my team. But then I kind of felt after that, you know, it got out and it was really public. And it probably got a little bit more skewed than I would want. Um, and so the next opportunity that I had were the Arizona deal. And again, these are people that just call me. I mean, I don't reach out to people and they reach out to, um, you know, my agent, you know. And so when that came up, um, you know, that was a little bit more uh, secretive. It was really between me and our athletic director and our, my agent and, and the, their parties involved. Because um, I, I feel like the other part, it kind of got out and or I got it out, I guess you would say. And, um, I can see some of the negatives of doing it that way. So I can see why some guys do it that way because it, it causes some dissension. And so I decided, you know what, this one, I just, because I, I didn't even know if I was going to Arizona. I was just going to listen to them. And so I said, well, we'll just keep this on down low. I'll talk to athletic director if it's okay for me to you know, have these conversations. But those are kind of been the ones that have come up. I, like I said, that I've, Talked to several people in my 14 years of being a head coach. Uh, obviously, no one this last year, but <laughs> but um, but I, I always tell recruits the same thing. They're like, "Coach, are you going anywhere?" And, and I said, "What was happening? Somebody would talk to you." And I said, "Well, I listen, but I, I said, with that said, I'm still here. You know, going on my 15th year, so I just tell you that's what I tell recruits. It's going to take a lot for me to leave the United States Naval Academy because I love the school." I love what it represents. I rep I love its mission. I love to develop leaders of young men of character and leadership. Yes, I want to win games. I, I recognize that's how you stay employed. 
and I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. But the, the challenge to develop leaders for our country, to me, is the greater challenge. And then the winning is a byproduct of that. And that's kind of always been my you know, philosophy in all of this. That coming from Kenny Amatololo, Navy Midshipman Head Football Coach here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Coach, as always, I appreciate it. Uh, more than anything else, I appreciate the human being you are, our friendship, our connection, and I'm just very grateful that somehow, some way, I was brought into the crossing roads of the American Athletic Conference before it even had a name and a logo, and that uh, in covering that and just feeling a draw to be a part of it has put me around people like yourself. So I'm very honored and I'm very privileged to have you uh, as a part of my life. And, and I always want to see you succeed and win your games. But above everything else, you know, I, I love the fact that you care about the bigger things, the more important things, the things that last a lifetime. And that means uh, more to me, especially in a world that sometimes forgets the morality and the humbleness and the goodness and the community of it all and the faith. So thank you, Ken, for being who you are more than anything else. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate your friendship and grateful for all that you're doing. And, you know, best of luck in all you're doing. But uh, Happy New Year.